0: And now, WBSM's big gun, Tim Weisberg.
1: And welcome back in our number two of the program here on Friday. Later on in this hour, we're going to be joined by New Bedford City Council President Linda Morad and Ward 2 Counselor Maria Giesta. We're going to be talking about a number of issues. Uh, and of course, until then, we will take your phone calls at 508 996 0500, your app chat messages, and open line voicemails both on the WBSM app, which if you haven't downloaded already, what are you waiting for? I'm going to just keep telling you about it until you do. So you might as well go download it anyway. You can get it from your app store. You can get it from WBSM.com under the Listen tab. And what it is, is it is a way to access everything that we do here. All of our articles, all of our streaming content. You can hear all of our shows, live streaming, wherever you are. You can uh, you can get all of our podcasts. You can get breaking news alerts, you can get live traffic and weather, you can even use it as your alarm clock. It'll do everything except make you breakfast, and we're working on that. We're working with the IT team to develop that. It's all brought to you by our friends at South Coast Towing, so get it in your app store, or uh, if you ever have any trouble finding it, just email me, Tim at WBSM.com, and I can send you a link to be able to download it uh, directly onto your device. But I I always recommend to people, if you're going to be driving around, you're going to be traveling around, say you live here, you work in Boston, Maybe you work in Providence. Maybe you're going to travel to the you know, down the Cape this weekend and have yourself a an early season getaway. I always say, well, when you get in the car, just pull us up on the app. Don't even worry about putting us on the radio if you're going to be traveling out of the listening area. Put the app on. That way there you'll be able to listen to WBSM continuously, no matter where you are. And it'll sound like crystal clear FM quality sound no matter where you might be. I did that not that long ago. Well, when was it that I had to drive out to New York? I don't know. It was a little, little while ago. I was a digital managing editor at the time. so And I had to drive out to New York, to the Albany area. And I left early in the morning and I put Phil on on the app. Actually, I wake up with Phil. That's my alarm is the WBSM app. And so I had that go off. I just carried it with me into the bathroom and let it play while I was on the shower. Uh, While I was in the shower, got dressed, got ready to go, put it on in the car. And I was able to listen to Phil's show pretty much until I got to where I was going. It was, you know, the show was uh, over probably eh, right around when I got to the New York line. And then Chris McCarthy came on. So it was like being right here in the regular listening area, even though I was hundreds of miles away at that point. I don't know how many hundreds. I don't know how far that is. But yeah, you can do the same thing. I use it when I go, like uh, I went on a cruise a couple years ago and I was able to just sit in my room because I bought the internet package. I was able to just sit in my room and listen to WBSM in the morning as I was getting ready, taking my shower and doing a little bit of work and everything before I went out and started the day. It's, It's amazing. And you can hear us anywhere you are using that. Okay, so something that I brought up the other day And I brought it up in the context of talking about the day of silence that's going to be happening uh, in two weeks on April 28th in some local schools. And I talked about for everybody that was saying, you know, kids belong in school. They shouldn't be walking out of school to protest. They shouldn't be spending time in school protesting. You know, I I kind of asked the question, well, then how do you feel about senior skip day? Well, let's let's take all those other connotations off of it for now. So it's not about comparing one to the other. Let's just talk about senior skip day as a, a as an entity as a thing unto itself. So if you're not familiar with senior skip day, there's always a day where every year high school seniors and I think it happens in most schools, but high school seniors all decide this is going to be the day that we skip and I don't I don't know how anybody ever decided it. I don't know how they decided it for my senior class, but they decide this is going to be the day that we all skip and maybe they might all go and do a group activity. So they might decide we're all going to go to Six Flags that day. We're all going to go to the beach that day. We're all going to go and uh, go over this person's house and swim in their pool that day, whatever it might be. They make a determination and they decide what day it's going to be and then the seniors don't go to school that day. And it's usually an innocuous day. It's not going to affect their schoolwork at all. It's not going to affect their grades at all. It's toward the end of the school year when when things are pretty much wrapped up anyway. They've already been accepted into college. They've already, you know, started their, they've already got their, their last quarter grades under control. So these days, this has been going on for decades. I think every year you probably get in some schools, administrators who make threats against the, and I shouldn't say threats, but um, promise consequences to those who decide to skip. And uh, a friend of mine who is a a mom of a student at Wareham High School, a senior at Wareham High, put that she was annoyed that the principal said that any senior who skips on senior skip day would not be allowed to walk at graduation. Now, let me just say, I know the principal of Wareham High School Scott Paladino. I haven't talked to him in a long time, but he was a teacher there when I was in school, and I did a lot of things um, that you know put us in contact. You know, all of AV stuff that I did, and all kinds of stuff. Uh, and then he was a, a gym teacher and a coach, and you know, so I always had reason to interact with him uh, when he was doing that. And I was a sports writer, so I know I know him pretty well. His dad was a high school principal, like school administration runs in his family. I'm pretty sure that this is, you know, an empty threat. I'm pretty, and and kids, you know, don't say the guy on the radio said it was okay to skip because he said Scott Palladino wasn't going to do anything about it. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying, I don't think that he is that concerned about, I think he kind of has to say that there will be punishment. I don't see it actually being metered out, but, There are some principals who do take a very hard line approach to it, who say, no, like you're going to get in. And what bothers me about it is I don't know how. I don't know how they could do that. How can you tell the kid they're not going to walk? They've met every other criteria that they have to to graduate. They've done everything else that they need to do. It's like when they tell you, oh, if you don't, if you don't pay your senior dues, you're not going to get a cap and gown and be able to walk in graduation. Of course you are. Of course you are. They're not going to hold you back from that if you're struggling to come up with whatever it costs to pay those dues. If that's still a thing. I don't even know if that's still a thing. I went to high school a long time ago. But that was one of the things. Like if you, if you didn't pay your senior, your senior dues, you didn't get your cap and gown and you couldn't walk at graduation. I also think a lot of kids, that's not a threat to them. Wait, wait. So you mean I can't walk, which means I don't have to go? I don't have to go to practice, which happens after you've already been released as a senior. You know, your your senior year is over, but you have to go back for, for graduation rehearsal. So I don't have to go back for that. I don't have to get up early on a Saturday and get ready for graduation or like, yeah, that's that's not a threat. Like you just gave me the, the perfect reason to tell my parents I'm not going and doing it. So I think that might be in some cases a bonus reason for them to want to do it. But I, I, I just feel like they couldn't actually follow through on these things. You know, you could say, well, if you don't, if you senior skip day, you take part, you're not going to graduate. Well, of course you are. Unless you've had too many absences and they can hold you back because you've had too many absences. When I was in in school... I was never absent, hardly ever. And that's not me, you know, being, uh, trying to say that I'm better than anybody or anything. There's just because I didn't want to be home. Staying home wasn't a, wasn't a treat for me. If you stayed home and you weren't sick, my mom made sure that, uh, that you were sorry that you stayed home. <laughs> She'd be on you all day. Well, you better do some homework or something. So I just went to school because that's where I got to see my friends and I and I enjoyed school and plus I figured if I have to go to work every day I might as well get used to it now. But the 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 way that they try to hang things over kids heads it just makes me laugh because none of it none of it really matters. Like, what's the worst thing they could probably do to you, technically? The worst thing they could probably do is send a truant officer to pick you up and bring you to school. And that's happened. There have been senior skip days where the principal finds out where everybody is, the school bus shows up, everybody's told to get on the bus and go to school. What happens if you are a truant? What happens if you are out of school and you're supposed to be at school? What are they going to do? They don't arrest you. What do they do? They bring you home? They tell your parents? Most of the parents in this comment thread uh, un- under this person's post about being annoyed at the principal saying anybody who takes part in senior skip day would not be allowed to walk at graduation. Most of the parents have said I'm just giving my kid a note for that day saying that they're they're sick. Uh, I'm just having them use it as an excused absence, which also, by the way, kind of defeats the purpose of senior skip day. Like having your parent or guardian write a note saying it's okay for you to miss the day. It doesn't really have the same feel as intentionally skipping school. And it's usually kids that had never done that or, you know, had done it very rarely during the course of their four years. So I wrote an article at WBSM.com and on the app and asked the question, you know, senior skip day, is it punishable or is it harmless? Is this something that people should really be all that upset about? Is it, (laughs) is it something that, you know is uh, worthwhile of holding back somebody from being able to walk at graduation when their their parents and their their grandparents and their siblings and the whole community is out there to see them get their diploma but no you can't walk up and get your diploma because one day you didn't go to school when you weren't actually sick like i just i think it's something that doesn't have any teeth and i think the people who make these these um promises of consequences, know that they don't have any teeth. Let me uh, read some of the comments that came up on our on our social media. This is from the WBSM Facebook page and, and maybe I'll read some from the uh Fun 107 page as well. But the, the question I asked was should should kids be allowed to have a senior skip day? Uh, Darlene says, in my opinion, they made it to the last few months of 13 plus years of school. I really don't think it's an issue. Let them reward themselves for having been good students. Congrats, class of 2023. Be proud of yourselves and be safe. Nancy says, not a real problem. Linda says, yes, as in, uh, yes, they should have a senior skip day. Holly says, absolutely. So those are just some of the comments that have come in so far on the WBSM Facebook page, and you can jump on there, and you can uh, offer up some of your own comments as well. And if you aren't following us already, you should do so, because then you can interact with all of our posts. Uh, Let me uh, change this here to all comments. And on the Fun 107 page, Jessica says, it's a bit ridiculous to threaten kids with graduation. It's one day, and as stated it's typically at the end of the year. This is what administrators are going to concern themselves with. There are definitely bigger issues to worry about. Joanne says, I graduated in the 70s and we had a skip day. Wonder if the principal did it. Let the kids have a day. Christy says, so, so lame, let them be. Jared, it's the older generation that has forgotten what it's like to be a kid. Christy writes, it's a rite of passage. Give me a break. Marion says, he can't do that. Skip, they earned it. What could pos- what could they possibly be missing? Jesse says, they should all skip and see what happens, power and numbers. Jen says, it's harmless. And Dan says, does the principal have perfect attendance? <laughs> So, some uh, some pretty good points made there. But I do think that, um, you know, as I said, I, I don't know how serious the threats of not being able to walk a graduation are. I think they just kind of have to say that. I'd like to think that what I know, at least of, of Wareham High Principal Scott Paladino, is he knows that it's a harmless thing. Now, the, the the problem is, and I've seen this posted by some educators... Um, let me see if I can find the exact thing because I think it was posted on, on my page because I also shared the story. And as I always say, I have a lot of teachers who are on, a lot of educators that are on my, my Facebook. Uh, Wendy says, yes, she didn't get to take part in hers because of a track meet several hours away that day, but the administration knew it was going to happen and rolled with it, um. Mary says, "What a silly thing to get wound up about! Who cares about one day in the grand scheme of things? Honestly, there's not much going on at the end of senior, at the very end of the senior year. Half the kids are 18 by that point anyway. Let them feel like they're getting one over on the school, and don't make a big deal out of nothing. Taking away the reward of walking at graduation after 12 years of schooling over one skip day is petty and controlling." Sandra says, "Yes, 12 years of school, they deserve it." Uh, Mick says. Graduation ceremonies are overrated. anyway, skip the hot sweaty mess of a ceremony and meet me at the parties afterwards. Honestly, if this was in place when I was in high school, I would have skipped so I would have a solid excuse not to go to graduation, mail me my diploma. But uh, Lana says no, as a high school teacher and as a dean, I know if anything were to happen when they should be in school and we are aware of uh, of and oh aware of and consent to them skipping, that's a slippery slope. If you decide not to go to school the last day, fine. Parents should know, and the school should treat it as a regular absence. So that that was the point that I was ma- that I was going to make is that if they are supposed to be in school and the administrators know that they're not, what happens if something goes on? You know, what if they what if they're all at the beach and somebody, you know, God forbid, drowns? What if they go to Six Flags and and somebody gets hurt or lost, or or you know, what if uh, what if. Because let's face it, we know what some kids might do. What if they're out partying in the woods somewhere and, uh, and and somebody has a problem as a result of that? You know, then is the school responsible because they were supposed to be in school at that time? Especially if the school kind of gave it a wink and a nod and said, yeah, 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 don't skip. And then knew they were doing it anyway. So it's an interesting thing. We can pick up that discussion uh, coming up in the next hour. But we are going to be joined in just a moment by New Bedford City Council President Linda Morad and by... Ward 2 Counselor Maria Giesta, but right now we've got to take a break before that, so we'll be back in a few moments. And welcome back in. Before we jump into our discussion with the City Councilors, I have to just point out something very quickly. Uh, As you heard me talk about in the first hour, the videos uh, have been released from the State Attorney General's Office of the May 1st, 2020 incident at the ICE Detention Center at the Bristol County House of Correction. We are closer to getting those videos, but also I had mentioned... That uh, Sheriff Paul Harreau would be joining South Coast tonight this evening to talk more in depth about what he saw on those videos. And uh, and Marcus just reached out to me to say that actually uh, Sheriff Harreau will not be able to join us, will not be able to join South Coast tonight this evening to discuss it um, because of the pending litigation surrounding it. So it's uh, he's actually going to hold back from offering any more comments. So what, what we heard earlier will be uh, all that he has to say on the matter for now but you can check that out in the podcast either of my show because I played it at the beginning of the program or I would recommend listening to the entire 8 p.m. hour from last night's edition of South Coast Tonight via podcast. Okay, just want to let you know about that before we jump into the discussion now. With bringing on the line, we have New Bedford City Council President Linda Morat and Ward 2 Councilor Maria Giesta. Good morning, ladies. How are you?
2: Good morning, morning Tim. How are you? Doing all right.
1: Um, you are enjoying enjoying the morning so far?
2: Uh so far, so good. I, I I've had some work being done in my home, so it's a little dusty right now. So if uh, <laughs> I start coughing, I
3: apologize.
1: We, we totally understand.
3: Construction is always so much fun. <laughs> yes,
1: yes, <laughs> it well, is. Especially when it's happening, you know, around the city, and there's there's street street, street sweeping going on, and there's all kinds of things happening. Uh, that's that's when you know that uh, spring is in the air, and it's time time to get everything ready for, you know, the time that we'll all be spending outside. So there's been a lot that's been going on this week, but I, I want to jump into talking about you know the the parking in uh, the parking situation and kind of tying that into some of the fires, Councilor Giesta, because you and I talked about this last Sunday briefly uh, via text that. You know, there's when you see a situation like what happened last week, where the fire department has to go through somebody's car windows in order to get to a hydrant. That that just shows, you know, in, inconsiderate uh, ignorance on the part of the people who who park in front of those hydrants and and might cost lives in just those seconds that it that it blocks the the hydrant for. Yeah, um, you
2: know, we talked about this, like you said, and I'm I'm always really shocked. And appalled by uh, people who have no consideration, not only for their neighbors, but, you know, just uh, the idea that you can park in front of fire hydrant and not have consequences is very disturbing to me. I understand that, you know, um, parking is a premium in this city, like most cities, you know, everybody owns a car or people bring their business vehicle um, home and I understand that, but uh, we have to have consideration because of what happened on Beetle Street. You know, uh, thank God the firefighters or police had the forethought to break through the, the, the windows of the car, and, and, it's, and it's sad that, that that had to happen, but, you know, they had to put out this fire. And, um, you know, we just need to do a better job thinking about not only our neighbors, but our families and the city as a whole. Um, Because, you know, summer's coming, there are going to be cookouts, and uh, we just have to be careful and a little more considerate. And um, I just heard last night that a oversized truck parked in the same location, Tim, uh, right in front of the fire hydrant. So Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's true, but that's what somebody told me last night. And I want to thank the police department also, and specifically the police chief. That understands how important these issues are and has asked, uh, you know, the police officers to be, um, you know, to have more oversight and be diligent when they see this and to ticket people. And, I, you know, I don't want to go around just ticketing people, but if you're breaking the law, then you should be ticketed, especially in cases like that. You are not allowed to park in front of a fire hydrant. I'm sorry. Um, don't do that. Don't park on the sidewalk. Don't park on the grass ribbons. You are destroying city property. And if your car or truck is too wide, um, then, you know, you should be making other uh, decisions of where you're parking.
1: Yeah. Council President Ward, we talked about this on Friday. Last week, we talked about, you know, the, the, the problems that are being caused by people not being considerate in their parking. And sure enough, just two days later, well, on the next day, actually, we have a situation where we see the fire department have to resort to breaking those windows.
3: Yeah, so it's prevalent everywhere. I mean, it's a that was a perfect example. Unfortunately, it happened, but it happens everywhere, and so anybody can drive through their neighborhood and have a look and see. And people do this everywhere. It wasn't just on Beetle Street. That's not an isolated incident. And you know, hopefully, with the stepped up enforcement, with the attention that's being given to this issue, with regard to you know from the media and with regard to the police department and the traffic enforcement that happens from our traffic commission uh, hopefully you know we might be able to put a little dent in this problem but unfortunately it's been going on for a long time but it does need to be addressed and as councilor Justice said i'm not looking to ticket people i'm not looking to tow people i understand that that's expensive and we you know people are have limited funds but you do need to follow the law and you just can't park anywhere whenever you want like that
1: and, and so, Councilor G.S., I know you've been working, you said, you know, with Chief Oliveira on this. And what what has been the, you know, his his approach to this? Because, you know, like you said, you don't want to see people get ticketed, but you also have to have some teeth in the enforcement of it, too. So it's a, it's a fine line to walk to be able to say, you know, we want to make people aware of this, but we also want to make sure that they, they understand the consequences of it.
2: Yeah, again, we, we just don't want to ticket people for the sake of it. Uh, but if you're breaking the law, Um, I mean, come on, it's basic uh, driving law where you don't park in front of a fire hydrant. Uh, Everybody knows that. Um, Or a crosswalk. Or a crosswalk, right? Um, You know, the other issue, you know, on top, I mean, there are many issues to discuss. um, But, you know, the speeding in the city, and I know that you and the mayor, Tim, a few months ago, uh, I believe, talked about that. And the mayor and I have talked about maybe if we can put some funds into, you know, putting up cameras um, in certain areas, not necessarily, again, to ticket you, but to let you know, listen, you can't be speeding in front of a school. As you know, Ashley Boulevard has three elementary schools, um, also has New Bedford Vogue. And, you know, these are our children and young adults who are afraid to—we had to get crossing guards. Uh, I worked on that a few years ago, and I, I know Council President Morad was in support of it. We, we had to hire more crossing guards from the school department because people were speeding and not obeying the law. We, we had to put ask the police officers if they could sit out uh, in front of the schools just so that people would slow down. And I think that's what you're seeing now with the overabundance of commercial vehicles and, uh, you know, residents who own cars uh, breaking the law. And I, I don't want to punish people, but, you know, you, you have to remember that um, this has consequences. And we've seen the consequences of, your, of people's actions. So um, and that's, you know... We just need to do a better job, and I and I want to thank the police for doing it. I also want to uh, thank, you know, the traffic department. Um, you know, Lori uh, Alphonse and her staff have been doing a great job, um, you know, helping the police, coordinating with the police. Uh, I'm not here to punish people, but if you're breaking the law, you're breaking the law. And um, we, we have to be more considerate and thoughtful of our neighbors, um, you know, and as you know, you and I, Tim, talked about how some businesses, um, you know, allow uh, their employees to bring their vehicles home, and that's part of the problem. They're legally parked. I'm not saying that they're not, but um, it's an overabundance of cars and 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 vans and trucks that are parking in neighborhoods, some of them legally and some of them not.
3: But the problem with that, too, Councilor Jester, is that, if if a business is allowing someone to bring their vehicle home and that vehicle's really not needed other than the working hours, right. they're taking right. another spot on the Absolutely. street. That, Absolutely. That, you know, a neighbor, these neighborhoods are very congested. And as you all know, you know, kids kids in a family have cars, you have two people in a family, or sometimes you have a grandmother living with you or you know, in-laws. And, you know, there's more cars per household than there were 20 years ago now and if you add the commercial vehicles that really aren't needed I and mean, if you're needed for an emergency like for example some of the city employees they are allowed to take their vehicles home because if they're called out overnight um, they don't need to go from their home to the city yard to pick up a vehicle then to go wherever they need to go to fix the problem so it's much easier if they have their vehicle with all the equipment in it and they can go directly from their home but if that's not the situation You know businesses should keep their vehicles on the business lot and therefore you know that would eliminate some of the additional congestion that we're seeing
2: i agree with you one thousand percent Moret. as you know from the beginning when i was first elected that issue um was the number one thing that i dealt with it was basically the number one issue that i worked on when i was first elected and you're right Uh, there are a lot of businesses who allow their staff to bring their vehicles home, and that's not fair or right to the neighborhood, especially a lot of the neighborhoods in, in, in our city, like where I live. Um, I'm lucky that I have a driveway, right? Um, but not everybody has that, and you see it over and over again. And like I said, a lot of these vehicles are oversized. So what do they do? They park on the sidewalk or they park on the, the grass ribbons and it destroys the property. And, you know, we can't allow that either. But I also understand that our police are limited on, um, you know, the amount of police officers that we have, the resources that they have. So I'm just asking people, you know, now that I have people's ears, um, please follow the law. Please don't bring your vehicles, your commercial vehicles home. You could leave it You know, your business has a business law. Use it. Why are you parking uh, in residential areas? It makes no sense to me. And I also find it very discourteous and unfriendly and unneighborly, period.
1: Absolutely. And kind of piggybacking on, you know, the idea of the parking problem, we've seen this really come into light with these recent fires. And and uh, and certainly like you can see, you know, the way that some of these fires have a- affected the neighborhood and and even where people can get to uh, parking normally. And I know that Councilor Giesta, that you have sponsored a motion uh, that will be brought up at the next council meeting regarding these fires. Can you tell us a little bit more about that?
2: Yeah, I, I think it's important that uh, we bring in the fire chief and the building commissioner um, to come before uh, the Committee on Public Safety and Neighborhoods to discuss their policies and procedures. Um, I think it's important that we hear what needs to be done, what has been done. Um, you know, as someone who just purchased my mom's, my family home, um, I had to hotwire um, you know the alarm system, and I had to put carbon and fire alarms in all the apartments and in the basement. I know the expense; um, it, it's not uh, cheap. But we're talking about people's lives, and I and I want to also, if I may, Tim, um, give my condolences to the families of those two gentlemen that died in the fire, and also the residents um, who are now displaced because of it and um you know i think we just need to do better and i i am i'm not i'm not here to blame anyone i'm not here to point fingers but we we do need to do a better job and i and i want the fire chief and i want inspectional services to come in and tell us what they do and what is the law and what we're responsible for as homeowners and business owners um i think that's
3: the key and in addition to that, you know, to find out whether they have the resources in their department to to manage the volume of the, of what needs to be done to make these buildings safe. And exactly. if not, you know, to put a plan in place to either, you know, add additional people or figure out a way to make sure that we on the part of the city are doing what we need to do to keep people who live in these buildings uh, safe and the property owners uh, if there's any grant funding, et cetera, that we can help them to obtain so that they can upgrade their buildings so they are safe.
0: Yeah,
3: yeah and that's the one, that
2: was one of the things that I, I appreciate you mentioning, Counselor, is, you know, let's try to help find some grant money or funding for owners um, of buildings that don't have the resources, don't have the money. Um, we we got to be better at that. We have to do a better job, absolutely.
1: Yeah, it's, it's amazing yeah. that there are programs in place that will, you know, help people make their homes more energy efficient, but they don't have yeah. programs in place to help people make their homes more, you know, fire safe.
3: Exactly. Yeah, it's, crazy. Yeah. Yeah. it's crazy. But, yeah. you know, Chief, Chief Krug is good at, um, he's done that a long time at finding grant money. He's done that several times in the fire department. And uh, I'm sure that if the money is out there through federal agencies that, you know, maybe we can find it and maybe we can help folks. But we're not going to know unless we have a discussion And I know some people may say that we're um, stepping outside of our bounds, but I I don't think we are. I think our our job is community 100 percent. And I applaud Council President for taking the step to to have the discussion.
1: Well, speaking of finance, Council President Morad, last night uh, there were some free cash requests that were referred to the finance committee. Can you tell us what those were about?
3: Um, Yep, there's a little over $12 It's actually almost $13 million in certified free cash, um, money that was raised through taxes but not spent. Um, I continue to tell my colleagues that when we get to budget time, money that we raised but didn't spend. And so uh, the administration is making several suggestions as to how we should allocate that cash. Uh, some of it to pay back some of the deficits that we had through the COVID time where we uh, overspent our budget and we didn't have the revenues to come in to, to match it, uh, some of it to go to the retirement OPED fund, which is truly underfunded at this point in time. And then there's some various projects that need to be completed uh, in the in the opinion of the administration. And instead of bonding for that money, to do those projects. The administration is suggesting that we spend some of the free cash that we have uh, to get those projects done. So that was referred to the Finance Committee. I know that Councilor Markey will have it on an upcoming agenda. My colleagues and I will talk about the items before us and we'll make a determination as to whether we agree with the administration or not and we'll either approve them as they are uh, we'll reduce them or will not approve them. That'll be the discussion that we will have in the determination of my colleagues in the finance committee. And then that'll get reported out to the city council for final action. And so that's something that you'll hear happening. Those, the finance meeting probably won't be in April. Like the calendar in April is unbelievable. Almost every available meeting date has two. Some of them have three committee meetings. Trying to get things done, so it'll probably be in May, and then final action toward the end of May at the last uh, council meeting.
1: And, and and just a logistical question because this came up uh, with some callers, but the last night the the council you read the mayor's veto onto the record, and you you'll discuss that at, at the next meeting, right? This was just you had to accept the veto into in, into the record. Correct.
3: Right. The procedural process is that it's received and placed on the following agenda which we did last night the technical term is that you spread it on the record um at that point in time there is there's no discussion because the motion before you is receiving the veto and placing it on the record so my colleagues could have stood up and debated okay uh should we receive this and place it on the record but there's really nothing to debate because that's the course of action you you have to do that and once that's done then it will be before us for action at the next council meeting, which will be the 27th, and at that point, my colleagues will be able to address the comments that were made in the veto and make a determination on each one of the individual vetoes, whether they're going to override it or whether they're going to, um, you know, leave the veto standing that was issued by the administration. And I know there were several people um, in the council chamber last night, press included, that were expecting that there would be debate, but the council took the appropriate action last night in the way they handled that item.
1: And before we let you both go, because uh, I, I do have a, one more break i got to take in the hour, but I want to get both of your thoughts on the decision this week by the school committee to name Andrew O'Leary as the interim superintendent uh, once uh, Thomas Anderson departs uh, at the end of May and uh, or the end of June, and, and so he'll take over and, and be given a one-year um Contract and that status, uh, while they were searching for a permanent superintendent, I've been not shy in thinking I think he'd be a great candidate for the permanent role. But at least, at least having him there on an interim basis, I think shows that there will be a lot of um, a, a lot of continuity in what's already going on with the schools.
3: how did you want to go
2: first? Uh, thank you. Um, I, I From the moment I heard uh, that the superintendent was leaving, the first person I thought of was Andrew O'Leary. I think he is. Qualified, um, does a great job uh, in his position now, and I, I'm very happy to hear that the mayor and the school committee has appointed him temporarily. And I'm hopeful, and I hope that he will be permanently made the superintendent. I, I don't think New Bedford could make a better choice than Andrew O'Leary.
3: Yeah, I agree with that. Um, we have a wonderful relationship, the council, with uh, Andrew O'Leary, and. He's worked hard, and, you know, it's wonderful that the school committee has determined that they'd like to promote from within. Uh, we certainly could do a national search. We certainly could find someone as qualified as Andrew, but that person is not vested in our community. And as has been in most major cities over and surrounding towns over the course of the last, you know, 10 years, it appears that, you know, they shuffle the superintendents from one place to another after three to five years of service. And I appreciate that Thomas Anderson was here. He did a great job. We also had a wonderful working relationship with him. But it's nice to promote from within and give Andrew the opportunity. And I hope that he will also be the permanent superintendent of the New Bedford public school system because I think he'll do a great job. And it sends a great message, too, to all the other educators that are within our system that there is a possibility for you to be promoted and to thrive within the New Bedford system.
1: Do you you think there needs to be – the mayor indicated that there will be a a search committee that's put together. Do you think that there's a need to do that, even if you feel like you've got the right person in-house?
3: Well, I I had a conversation with John at my weekly meeting a couple weeks ago, indicating that I didn't think that that needed to happen. I've expressed that to a couple of the school committee members as well, who sort of concur with me. We'll see what happens toward the end of the summer when they make a determination that they want to do the search. But um, I I have no doubt that Andrew O'Leary, if they do do a search, will be one of the people that applies and will be the permanent replacement.
2: Um, If I may, Mm -hmm. I I am meeting with the mayor this afternoon, and that will be um, one of the issues that I want to discuss with him. Uh, My support for Andrew, and I think there's no need to do a search. We have the right guy uh, here in New Bedford, as Councilor President um, Morad said. Uh, he's vested in the community, um, and we want to demonstrate to the teachers and, um, you know, the the administrators of the schools that, you know, we know you, we, we appreciate you, and you can climb through the ranks and become superintendent one day.
1: Absolutely. Well, I want to thank you both for joining me this morning. Uh, uh, Council President Morad, do you know who will be joining us next week with you?
3: I do. Uh, Councilor Carney will be with me next week, and we'll look forward to chatting with you then. And uh, I hope that you, over the last couple of days, have enjoyed the very nice weather, and hopefully you'll get out there one more day today.
1: It's <laughs> nice nice having the windows open and, and letting that fresh air in for sure.
2: Absolutely. Well, thank you, Tim, and uh, thank you, Council President Morad. It's always a pleasure uh, chatting with you, Tim, and, and also with my uh, president of the city council.
1: Likewise. Thank, thank you both. both. Yep. Have a bye great bye. weekend. Right. You
2: Thank too. Thank you. Bye-bye.
1: And that is New Bedford City Council President Linda Moran and Ward 2 Councilor Maria Giesta. Some very important issues going on in the city, and we can get rea- your reaction to it on the other side. Right now, i got to take my final break of the hour, but we'll be back in just a few moments. And we are just about out of time for this hour as well, but coming up in the next hour, we'll talk more with you at 508-996-0500. Hit us up on App Chat.